Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll unpack a new Vatican document on gender identity. Then, we'll talk about what's on the table at the U.S. Bishops' Meeting that's happening this week. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York. Good afternoon from sweltering heat of Rome, Colleen. (laughs) Jerry, the first thing I wanted to ask you about this morning, really briefly, was uh, that Cardinal Pell has had his appeal uh, last week. And I was wondering if you could give us a little update on what happened. Two days last week, Cardinal Pell's lawyers presented the case for the appeal before three judges in Melbourne Appeals Court. The Cardinal was present at the hearing, but we didn't see him on the screen because it was live-streamed. He returned to prison at the end of the hearing, two-day hearing. The judges wished to take some time to express, to give their verdict on whether to accept the appeal, whether to overturn the first verdict of which he was condemned, or whether to send him for another trial. And what did they decide? They, we don't know. They, we have to wait for them. They, they will signal when they are ready to give the verdict. Uh, people think it could take from some, a few days, well, some days have passed now, up to two weeks. Let's move on to our first story then. Um On June 10th, the Vatican released its most comprehensive document on gender identity yet. It's called Male and Female, He Created Them, Towards a Path of Dialogue on the Questions of Gender Theory and Education. And the document aims to address what it calls an educational crisis surrounding sexuality and gender. And the Pope has spoken about gender identity before, and this document reiterates a lot of what he's said. Um, So, Jerry, just to start out, I was wondering if you could tell us, you know, why is this document important? Well, this document uh, started way back in February 2017 when the Congregation for Catholic Education, that's the Vatican Department, which oversees universities, Catholic colleges, schools throughout the world. Uh, They got a lot of requests from bishops around the world saying, this gender theory is causing a lot of problems. Uh, we really need some guidance on it. Uh, I understand also other departments in the Vatican had received similar requests, including the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. The Congregation for Catholic Education, at its plenary session, which it holds every two or three years, decided that they would work on a document on the theory of gender and how to address it, how to dialogue with it. Jerry, does this document say anything new? It's not a new doctrinal statement. It's representing what has been traditional doctrine in the church. And it starts from the biblical understanding that God created man and woman in his own image and likeness. So it starts from that kind of tradition of Christianity. Uh, It doesn't pretend to be the last word on on the question. They present it as reflections to assist teachers, those involved in the educational process. And it's uh, significant also that the Pope has not signed this document. 
there is no indication that he approved it. There's no even no indication that he even saw it. So it comes mm. from the Vatican's, de- what we would call the Vatican's Department for Education. Got it. And it's meant to help uh, schools. And it draws a distinction between what it calls the ideology of uh, gender, which dispenses with the idea of that there's male, female, etc., that dis- distinguishes between the dispenses with these and insists that the situation is not quite that way. And those who have what they call theories of gender, which look at how people live out in different cultures and societies, being man and being woman, how this is lived out. And so they touch the problem of discrimination. They touch the problem of the uh, role of men, the role of women, etc. in society. Yeah. Jerry, um, I wanted to ask you, you know, do you think that there's kind of been a change in tone in how the Vatican and maybe the Pope himself talk about transgender people, right? I remember previously that the Pope had compared arguments for trans rights to arguments for nuclear weapons. And this document seems to have a pretty gentle tone. Um, How do you see the Church's kind of conversation about this evolving? Pope Francis, first of all, has made very clear that uh, he accepts people as they are. His approach has been, let's meet people in the situations where they really find themselves. Now, he, he will say then, okay, that's how they're living. That's how he looked then at what is the church's teaching on the, on the question of the family, on the question of male and female. And at that point, that there, there would obviously be some tensions with some of the ideological elements of the gender agenda. This document has a section called listening. It has a section on points of agreement. And those appear to emphasize like the dignity of all people and they call out discrimination. But the document also says that the idea that gender is not fixed at birth is wrong and that Catholic schools should teach children that gender corresponds to biological sex, right, male or female. Who are the parties that gave input on this? And, you know, one thing I've been wondering about is like, were, were people who identify as transgender involved in this document? We don't know. We haven't been given a list of who participated in, in this. All they said that they involved people, uh, pedagogists, people from the different sciences. Uh, we don't know who. They, they didn't give any uh, list. I mean, what's extraordinary about this document, some, in some ways, from the point of view of journalists reporting on it, uh, nobody was told about its existence until three hours before it was published, three and a half hours before it was published. And then there was no press conference to accompany it. There was a letter from the Cardinal which said that, which summarized basically and said it was going to the address to the Catholic community, to the bishops' conferences, and for them to make available to those involved in the educational project. Questions are being raised, and sometimes legislation is being passed, which uh, tend to impose the ideology of gender or impose that you don't uh, really question the whole essence of the family. You know, is there a mother? Is there a father? Is, uh, is Is there a clear distinction between male and female? 
it goes into this whole question. So the Vatican is getting all this feed in, and so it produces this document, which nobody claims to be the the finest work of art, but which, uh, let's say, opens the discussion. And it calls specifically for dialogue, but it draws a line. It says those who reject, kind of dispense and say there's, you know, there's one decides one's gender, that when you insist on this and you're not prepared even to dialogue about this, they say that this obviously excludes the possibility of conversation, and it's an ideology. So speaking of that dialogue, I wanted to ask you about um, some of the responses to this document. You mentioned that there's a lot of feed-in coming from from people in the church. Um, so let's talk about now the feedback that it's been getting. Um, I know in the U.S., you know, some transgender advocates have said that they don't feel that the gender theory that's outlined in this accurately represents their experiences. Like, they say that the Vatican document talks about them as if they've chosen their gender, when in fact they say that they experience realizing that they haven't chosen their gender. They just feel that they've been born in the the wrong body, right? And they note that medical science on gender isn't, isn't really consulted in the document. And the executive director of a Catholic LGBT organization called New Ways Ministry, Francis DiBernardo, uh, says that he's worried the Vatican document will confuse people who sincerely struggle with questions of gender identity and sexual orientation, and that this confusion might lead to self-harm or addiction or even suicide. So, I mean, there's been some some questions raised about it, obviously, on the U.S. side, especially from, from transgender advocates. Does that align with how people in Rome have responded, maybe especially among the people who've, who asked for this document to begin with? Well, for example, the Italian press didn't really play up this document. They, they gave it pretty low coverage, I would say. I've not seen a great debate here on the subject. This is the first real document that the Vatican has produced on the question of gender, on the theory of gender. And it's, it could be seen as to open the discussion I would su- suspect, I would expect that later down the line, there will be a fuller, fuller statement from the Vatican once they've had feedback on this document. I think it is highly significant that the document nowhere says the Pope saw it or approved it. And I suspect what they will be looking for is feedback from teachers, uh, those running schools, those in parishes, uh, parents too, uh, on this question, and to find out really what parents really, what teachers really feel. And then maybe we will have a more substantial discussion than this document. And obviously, in that dialogue, there will be space for uh, dialogue with the very LGBT community. Because otherwise, you, you, it doesn't make sense to issue a document where you're not speaking to all the persons involved and where the Pope very clearly wants to deal with the real situations. And as that dialogue continues, we will keep you updated on it here on Inside the Vatican. Our second story this week is that the U.S. bishops are gathered in Baltimore right now for their spring general assembly. And 
Jerry, the media here in the U.S. is paying really close attention to this, especially because of the recent financial scandals that broke out in the Wheeling, West Virginia diocese. Um, I wanted to ask you first up, you know, is Rome taking notice of this meeting? Absolutely. Pope Francis wants to decentralize a lot to the local bishops' conference. So he is effectively beefing up the bishops' conferences in ways that his predecessors have not done. But my understanding is that uh, the whole issue of the sexual abuse of these is going to be part of that discussion. Right. They're actually discussing that in a closed session as we're recording right now on Wednesday morning. Um, so, you know, more will probably come out that we won't be able to talk about. But speaking of the sexual abuse crisis, um, one piece of news that did come out of this was that Bishop Robert P. Dealey, who leads the U.S. Bishop uh, U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Canonical Affairs and Church Governance told the gathered bishops that any rules that they adopt can't exceed a policy that was promulgated by Pope Francis last month in the Motu Proprio Vos Estis Lux Mundi, which was uh, what outlines the new guidelines on sexual abuse that we talked about. Jerry, I wanted to ask you, you know, this raises the question, are the bishops limited by the Pope's Motu Proprio? Um, and if so, you know, what would that look like? Well, it's it's a question. The motu proprio was legislation for the, the whole Catholic world on proceeding on questions relating to the abuse, the allegations, the cover-up, etc. And it, it legislated that every priest, every religious person in the church, and of course, obviously every bishop and every head of religious order, has a, now a legal obligation to denounce abuse or cover-up when they come to know of it. They also have to listen to the person who comes forward with an allegation. They have to welcome the person. They have to take the person seriously. They have to provide assistance. And they can in no way impose on the people who give testimony to remain silent about the testimony they give. These are big step forwards. And they have in it, and the Pope has legislated that each diocese will have an office uh, for receiving denunciations of abuse or cover-up. Right. I think some important context to give here is that when this motu proprio came out, uh, a lot of people in the U.S. looked at it and said, this is pretty similar to what we're already doing, but the U.S. bishops wanted to go farther. And I think it's also important context to give that Last year at their November meeting, um, for you know reasons that are kind of disputed all over the place um, that we won't get into, the Vatican asked the U.S. bishops not to vote on sexual abuse rev uh, resolutions. Some people chalk that up to it being about them not presenting their drafts to the Vatican in time. But you know, I do wonder um, if the Pope's motu proprio, whether it empowers or or limits the U.S. bishops' power to maybe run a little bit farther ahead on sexual abuse? I think it makes the question much uh, stronger because it now, as uh, Archbishop Pierre, in the address to the conference, which was released and read out, I think, uh, makes very clear that what the reason for blocking last November was they wanted the church to all the churches to walk forward together so that one isn't just right ahead without perhaps gaining some wisdom from others. In fact, the 
it seems clear that had uh, the U.S. bishops' proposals gone ahead, they may not have even passed the conference. This is what I have read. But right now what is clear is that there is binding legislation on every priest, every bishop, every person, religious life, every religious superior to act. There's a binding obligation on every diocese to have this office to receive allegations, to receive denunciations. There is also a procedure for handling the uh, allegations against the bishop. These did not exist in law in the church up to now. So it's a very firm position. Some in the States have said, well, it doesn't uh, oblige, it doesn't make an obligation to have lay people involved. The document says lay people may be involved. So the possibility is there, and it is up to the local bishops' conference to follow up on that and say, in our country, we believe we should take up this possibility. That's how I read it from this side. It will be interesting to see what they will do in the conference. But as I understand it from this side, the the possibility is there for a bishops' conference to uh, uh, give a lay people a much more significant role than they've had up to now. Right. I think lay involvement is the big question going into this meeting. And then also bishop accountability and, you know, how systems of accountability work among among the bishops, which is something that they were debating, uh, gosh, last last November, I think. It, it will be interesting to see how they develop this, because each country will probably uh, have its own way of, of developing it. And the, the American bishops right now are addressing it. So when we talk again the next time, maybe we'll have more to talk about and maybe more to comment on. And if our listeners want more breaking news on that, they can follow our reporting at americamagazine.org. And uh, we'll talk some more about what happens at this U.S. Bishops meeting next week. Jerry, thanks for all of the, the context you were able to provide this week. We always appreciate it. Thank you, Colleen. And I presume our listeners would be wish to congratulate you on your engagement. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very, very excited. Before we go, if you've been enjoying Inside the Vatican, maybe you've learned something new, please leave us a review on your podcast app. It really helps us get the word out about the show. Inside the Vatican is produced by America Media at the William J. Loeschert Studio in New York City. Our executive producer is Eloise Blondio. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Kieran Freeman. Production help this week from Mike Say. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Oliver Lazarus. Our studio manager is Leopold Stubner. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. See you next week.